Thank you for tuning in to All About the Girls, the podcast, where your host, me, Jenny Craig Brown, interviews incredible women to learn what powers them, what inspires them, and how they make our world a better place. Let's get to it. Well, welcome everybody to All About the Girls, the podcast. Today, we welcome Liz Boyna, Corporate Communications Manager for American Licorice. Um, I'm, we'll get into what all of that means, but welcome to the All About the Girls podcast. Thank you so much. We're Thanks really for happy joining to be us here. Yeah, we're excited to have you too. We were just kind of talking off, uh, off, off recording, I guess you could say, <laughs> um, about family mm-hmm. and kiddos. So I'm excited to touch on some of that. Uh, we'll dive right in. Just give for those that have never met you, even me. Uh, give us just some of your background, who you are, who, what, what you do. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm us to you. I am uh, originally from the Chicagoland area. I grew okay. up in the northwest suburbs. Um, for people who are kind of like unfamiliar with that area, it's where the big IKEA is. Okay. Right. Uh, <laughs> right at the big mall. I think almost everyone knows that. Yes. So yeah. we grew up 15 minutes from the IKEA. Oh, nice. Um. Surprisingly, we did not go there a lot, but uh, it was nice to have. So uh, anyway, um, I went to school uh, in a couple of different places. I actually started my college career up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Nice. Um, Did a couple of years there and then just had one of those experiences where like not enough was going on to keep me there. And I was homesick. And was, you know, sort of missing my community back in Chicago. And so I transferred and finished um, my first degree in English at Loyola University, um, which is actually very ironic because I now live about five minutes from where I used to live when I was going to school there. Interesting. Back in the Rogers Park neighborhood. Love that. Um, Yeah, we when my husband and I were looking for homes, um, we were kind of in a mad dash because at the time I was like five or six months pregnant and we were living in a, my very tiny, uh, Logan square apartment that I had like rushed to buy after like a bad breakup. You know? So it wasn't like <laughs> it the ideal family now. setting. Yeah. <laughs> um, very small, very lovely, uh, right on the boulevard. Of and course. Kind yeah. Of my great favorite space. Logan great place, but mm-hmm. maybe um, not big enough for the fam. No, we would have been stepping all over each other because my <laughs> husband's also 6'4". You know, we're big people, so uh, we need the space. And we found it up in Rogers Park. Um, so I finished my first degree. And as I was finishing that degree, it took me a while okay. because um, I stopped out for a while. I was working full time um, once I went back to school. So I was commuting and going to school part time and I had transferred and like all these non-traditional experiences. And, um, it was just a very like clunky college road. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, like life, you just don't expect things to kind sometimes of go things that are way. clunky. Yeah. But I also felt like I couldn't be the only young person who had the experience that was kind of the opposite of what they we're looking to get out of college. So I just got super curious because, um, you know, I got a degree in English and it's like, what do you do with that degree? Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have like a firm direction of, okay, once I graduate, I'm going to do this. This is what I'm using this for. It was just, that's what I'm going to get. Yeah. So I think my circumstances kind of helped me figure out what my next step along my career path was going to be. Um, because I just got really curious about like higher ed institutions and what, um, educators and administrators do to help students not feel like I did 
Like, what did I miss out on? Or how can I help other students, you know, who are coming up kind of get to where they're looking to go? And so I went back to school. I actually went back to Milwaukee and kind of like finished my business there. Okay. Sort of like relived that experience to the extent that um, I got enrolled in a really good graduate program there. I did all the, you know, I joined a student organization. I did all the things that you're like, quote unquote, the regular experience. Yeah, exactly. To get the the most out of your, you know, experience. Experience, yeah. And, um, and I was very happy to have done that because this community was very, um, welcoming and supportive and, very collegial and collaborative. And so it was just a really good learning environment. That's finally what you were looking for. I think so. And I never considered myself to be that person. I'm like very introverted by nature and was not really a social butterfly. Even when I was young, I remember in high school, my friends would kind of razz me the few times when I would go and hang out like outside of school because it just never happened. Yeah. I was kind of like into my books and into hanging out in my room and listening to music and just sort of like having that downtime with myself. And Um, but I think what I needed to help me grow professionally was all those other things, you know, learning how to have these like informational interviews and learning how to seek your own professional development opportunities and learning how to like, you know, chart your next step in life. Um, and so I ended up getting my master's in higher education administration, um, which was very, uh, suited to kind of what the next four years provided me, which was a lot of different roles in higher ed. So Mm -hmm. I worked in career development, admissions, recruitment, um, customer service. I mean, it was kind of like a mixed bag as I was kind of getting my degree and doing these internships and things like that. So I really got to kind of jump around and get a feel for where I'm best suited kind of doing this work. And what ended up happening was um, I got a job at University of Chicago, which was like, to me, you know, it's such a premier institution. And I thought this is back in my hometown. Like this is my next step in this fabulous career in education. Like I was going to be working at the law school. Um, And it just wasn't necessarily the role that was the right fit for me. Okay. Um, So I was actually only there about six months because I got a phone call from an old colleague in Milwaukee who said, hey, our regional admissions person in Illinois is leaving. Do you want this job? And I was like, uh, well, um, (laughs) Uh, well, can I have a moment? (laughs) There are some obstacles uh, in that I'm, you know. Still, I was living in Chicago at the time, but I'd have to kind of go back and forth and I'd be doing driving because that's what you do. And I did not have a driver's license at the time or a car. I'd always lived in cities and just never Mm -hmm. gotten my license. Never needed it. Right. So I quickly jumped on it and was like, okay, we're just going to do this. So I (laughs) learned how to drive and got a license and got a car. 30. Okay. Yeah. Um, So (laughs) I'm going to work this out really quick. It's fine. That's right. And I was always a little bit of a... um, Late bloomer in the sense that, you know, I never really followed sort of the timeline that my peers were along okay. in terms of like, you know, most of my friends in high school went to college. They did their four years. They got their degree. They went out. They got their first job mm-hmm. or they went back to school. And it was just like a very linear, linear sort of traditional path. And I sort of like stumbled my way through. Um, but I think that really served me because i Felt like that's where I found a lot of my strength and confidence and not needing to be so fearful of like, oh, my goodness, now I've gone back to school. 
now everything is riding on this decision. Like you must have a, you know, you stumble and you make it out and you're like, okay, it doesn't have to be perfect. And I'm going to be fine. Yes. Like I can handle the ups and downs of that stumble and I can get through it just fine and still come out with a great outcome. Yeah. It's just not like you maybe pictured it. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that taught That's me a fantastic. lot about, you know, not locking yourself into an expectation um, of what your future is supposed to be or what you're supposed to do, because I think it was very eye opening to see that there are so many different ways of, you know, finding where you fit. Mm. Um, so I did end up going back and recruiting for Milwaukee for a couple of years. And, um, you know, I think the tough part about that job was you meet these really incredible young people, but you're in their life for like five seconds. Mm. You know, I mean, you engage with them at a college fair or you do a student meeting during their lunch hour at their high school or they send you a couple of emails. And, you know, so you're making like these little points of impact with them. Um, but then, you know, they go on their way. Yeah. And I, it's like a micro parent, like they're there for like four seconds to give them help and then they leave. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that was my problem is feeling too parental. Okay. Having to be too, you know, having that um, experience in sort of my prior roles in higher ed, where I was working more with student development and I was with students for longer and could kind of help them progress over a period of time. I kind of missed that interaction rather than these smaller you know, not to say that there wasn't good things coming out of those smaller moments, too, but it was really hard just getting attached to the students and then having to leave or them leaving. And yep. so I just was like, I don't know if I have the um, emotional stamina to do this work forever. Right. Um, so at that time, I had been doing it about two years. And um, fortunately, you know, we had been recruiting a lot of students from Illinois. So I had a, a good amount of job security because it was a good market for us. Yeah, exactly. But I just felt like after that few years, um, the only other advancement opportunity would have me would have meant moving back to Milwaukee and working on main campus. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty settled in Chicago and I didn't want to do that. Um, especially when you say like so many times, like it's your home and it feels like your space and your place yes. and all of those things that, yeah, it definitely means a lot to you. Yeah. And, um, while that was happening, my dad, who also worked for American Licorice Company, um, was getting ready to retire after 30. Well, let's see, how old was I? He was 33 years. He oh, wow. There. Incredible. Um, yeah. And he at the time was kind of working only a few days. He was like partially retired. He was working like three days a week doing sort of special project management, working a lot with our operations team. Um, and what did he do for his 33 years? Like what was his main role? Everything. Yeah. Yeah. He did everything. Um, you know, he started uh, kind of on the production lines as a shift coach, um, working with the folks who are making the candy and kind of helping that process along. Um, this was before we had established our facility uh, here in LaPorte. Yeah. And I guess for those that don't know, so American Licorice is a brief intro. I know that's a couple of different tangents, but American Licorice is, of course, what probably people know most is red vines and sour straws, right? Like yes. those are the two main products, yeah. obviously. That's, and, and it's, yeah, there's a production facility right here in LaPorte, right in our own backyard. Yeah. I, yeah. So if you guys didn't know that, it's amazing. Uh, we love it. And I think... 
from my knowledge, I think red vines are more made in California they and then are. the port is more the sour, right? Yeah. So the con- and it's sour punch straws. Sour punch okay, straws. Okay, I just yeah. want to make sure. Uh, listen, I know my candy. <laughs> well, and you know, people get confused with sour patch a lot. Yeah. Very but it's the straws. Yeah, that's kind of the that's my favorite part. Yeah. Yeah. So my dad was actually pretty instrumental um, in bring, helping to bring the sour punch brand to life in the early 90s. Cool. That's kind of when he started working with the company. Um, and we were based in Alsip, Illinois at that time. Um, before we moved out here to Indiana. So, Got it. but we had, the business actually started, um, on West Jackson Boulevard in Chicago in 1914. Really? So we have very strong Midwestern roots. And then, um, because it was a family business as the kind of generations developed, part of the family went to the West coast and that's where red vines were Got born. It. Um, and then the Midwest contingent kind of stayed here and helped to grow the Sour Punch brand. So we've had super neat. We've had stuff going wow. on all across the country. Um, but yeah, my dad kind of worked through a lot of um, the sort of candy operations. He was a plant manager in Allsit for a long time. Um, when they closed the Allsit plant, he transitioned and worked in sales for I think six or seven years, um, and then eventually kind of took on this part-time sort of easing out. As he's out. kind of easing out. Right. Yes. And that's kind of where you connected. Yes. So when he was easing out, I just had this, you know, we didn't grow up necessarily feeling like working for this business was um, our only option. You know, we weren't sort of groomed to be You got to do this. Whatever. Yeah. But um, I think for myself, at least, I felt like, in the back of my mind, it was always sort of the end game. Okay. So very subconsciously. Um, and that's kind of why I went and did these other things. Like I worked in hospitality for a long time with the Hilton property. And then I worked in higher ed and did mm-hmm. sort of this mishmash of jobs. And um, I think it was all sort of to help me accumulate the skills and the soft skills that I needed to do whatever I could to make a contribution to this business that was started by my great, great, great grandfather. I hope I have that right. I always mix up the counts of the number. Oh, of the yeah, grades, how many grades? Like three. How many generations prior? <laughs> yeah, but it you know this business gave us everything. Um, That's awesome. And it's we we've been very fortunate in our lives because the business has continued. And um, after watching my father, who they used to call Doctor Licorice, because oh, that was back gosh, in the pager days, and so he would get paged sometimes at like two, three in the morning. Something had happened, cool. you know, at the factory, and he wow. had to drive in. So, um, it literally like a doc, like, yes. Hey man, we need you. Sorry. Yes. His gosh. license plate is still licorice to this day. Even oh though gosh, he's I love it so much. blissfully retired, but, <laughs> um, no, he, he really, he, uh, put his whole life into helping to take care of this business. And he has a very distinct, uh, perspective and voice and ability. And I, was lucky enough when I was in like late high school, early college to intern with American Licorice for a couple of summers and get to watch him work, which I don't think is like a super common experience. I was just going to say a lot of kids don't get that with their parents. You get like the day, right? Like the bring your kid to work day. What is that once a year? I don't even know if they do that anymore. Gosh, yeah. I I remember doing that as a kid, but it was the coolest thing to go watch either parent and it doesn't matter. Yeah. um, Go do their thing. Yeah. And it doesn't even matter the job. It's just really neat to be a part of that because that's a different person than you're used to seeing at home. Exactly. And so you kind of probably get a whole new light in who they are as a person and seeing them in that professional setting is probably really different. Yeah. Incredible. And it helped really, even at the time, you know, I was still pretty young when I was sort of witnessing how he was 
um, you know, just conducting himself. But I think it gave me a lot of tools and understanding of how um, to, you know, successfully like navigate yourself in a professional situation Mm -hmm. with care and respect and, you know, vulnerability. And so I feel very fortunate to have had that experience with him and really felt like I wanted his voice and his place in this business to continue after he left. Um, Because in the sort of Midwest side of the family, a lot of the men in the family who worked for the business married in. So the lineage has kind of come down through the women. Um, So I think there's just opportunity for us to uh, really pay homage to how we got here. And I think my dad's a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to kind of get in as he was getting out. So we had a couple of years where, um, I was able to kind of not work directly with him, but you know, we'd sit and have lunch together or we'd go take a walk together. You just can absorb like that. that if you're doing the same thing. Like we always talk here in our office, we have a lot of field team members. We've got a lot of remote workers that are doing social media and things like that. I want them here as much as possible. Yeah. They're not technically working during that time. If they're doing it here, they can occasionally. And sometimes right. it's just, hey, just be here. Because I think you do absorb so much more when you're around that person regularly and how they do things and just how they talk and yeah. being in a business setting with them. That's really cool. Yeah. And how was it? Um, I really loved it because, you know, my dad is incredibly diplomatic. And I like to think I have some of that. Um, we also have a little bit of like fieriness okay, in I our love genes that. as well. Good. <laughs> so I try and balance the two because okay. I tend to be pretty passionate about things and get a little, you know, get that fire in my belly. We call it the Irish. Yes, you know, we there have, we go. We have strong Irish lineage as well on my mom's side. And and so that's that's very present. But I try to kind of think if I'm in one of those situations, like how would my dad? handle this Hmm. to do it successfully in a way where it's like focusing on solving the problem and not about people's feelings getting hurt and, you know, saying that communicating things in a certain way. Um, so I was able to watch him in different dynamics and he was also able to watch me work, which I think is also something that doesn't happen a lot in families. And so, um, like we had a, I was in a leader business leaders group, um, that every month would rotate the meeting at, another one of the members facilities. And so we hosted our group in LaPorte and it was while my dad was still working there. So he came to sit in on sort of our company presentation that I was giving because he was also going to take the group out on a tour of the Mm. facility. Um, And so that was a very sort of like nervous moment of like, look, my dad's watching, you know? Yeah. Um, And having to sort of like- kind of removed until this point. Yeah. Yeah. Having to sort of just- do what I would usually do, even if he wasn't there. Um, so there were those moments of like having those really special interactions that, again, I don't think are super common and I definitely didn't take them for granted. And I think once he saw me kind of get established and was like, okay, she's cool. Then he was okay with Good. it. He can trust it now. He sees it. He's seen it in process. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Good. Yeah. And that brings us to tell us a little bit about your current role. What do you do? What do you love? Um, Obviously, you're still within the company. It sounds like that that process worked really well. Um, Tell us about that. Yeah. So when I got pregnant with my daughter um, in May of 2020, I was working in a completely different role 
um, with American Licorice. I was more in sort of sales and marketing and helping to develop um, some of our items for different international markets. And I worked a lot with the packaging and it was a lot of translation and graphics and things like that. And, um, you know, all fine work, but not something I was super excited to do every single day. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about having to go on maternity leave and then going back to work, I was like, I don't know if I can really justify spending this time away right now doing something that I'm only kind of like, eh, you know, right. about. Um, but I didn't want to leave the company. So fortunately, I was able to work with a few people um, who were very open to exploring a different role for me, including um, my cousins and a few of the, the company's leaders. And um, there were also, unbeknownst to me, additional conversations going on kind of behind the scenes about how do we really um, enhance our social impact that we're making. So we had mm. done a lot in corporate social responsibility with community work and with environmental work um, over almost a decade. Uh, but I think now we're in a different day and age when it comes to social responsibility and ESG. And so there needed to be more than just a person responsible for sort of carrying this for the company. Right. And so there was a decision to create a team, the social impact team um, that encompasses, uh, there's three of us right now. So we have Juana Clements, who's our uh, director of diversity and inclusion. Um, we have myself and then we have Nicole Kroll, who is our community program outreach coordinator, mm -hmm. who had been and still continues to be sort of the strongest leader in our um, community-based work. So between the three of us now, we're really trying to be intentional about um, where we put our time, our talent, and our resources to maximize the impact that we're making. And so it was, it's become more than I envisioned it at the time. But what I had told my cousin in these initial conversations about a potential role change was, um, you know, I would love to be able to be in a position to tell this company's story. Mm -hmm. And I think we have some digging to do before we really understand what that story is. Mm -hmm. So we've spent kind of the last year plus since I've been in this role um, doing that digging and doing some soul searching as a company to, and not just our team, but leadership um, and associates across the company have participated in this and a lot of conversation around, you know, who do we really want to be um, today and who do we really want to be for the next generation? Because um, we're in generation five right now, myself and, and my cousins, and then my daughter and my cousin's kids are in Gen 6. So we're very mindful of our Gen 6 kids and all the Gen 6 kids of the, Yeah, like know. what are we setting up for them? Just like you looked to your father, I think it's perfect to be thinking of that now for them too, so that by the time they're grown, you really have thought about that for quite some time and said it well. Yeah. And really smart. We, you know, we wanted to make it more than um, just how like it would impact our families within the family. It was about the number of um, young people in our communities, locally, nationally, globally, that are not necessarily being given the sweetest start in life um, for a multitude of reasons. Yep. But I think we are, again, now in a different age of corporations needing to take more responsibility for solving some of these, not solving, but contributing to solutions Helping for systemic mm -hmm. issues. 
um, especially point. when it comes to inequity. And so in all of this evolution that we've been um, taking on to kind of decide who we want to be, we'd had a mission of investing in happiness, which if you think about candy makers, it's pretty Perfect self-explanatory, yeah. right? I mean, that's what we do. And we're very proud yeah. of that. And we want to continue to do that. But we also want to um, leverage that to make more space um, for young people to pursue the paths that all of us deserve to mm -hmm. pursue. Um, and a lot of that has to do with having really strong social, emotional learning opportunities and tools and support from a young age. And so we are now moving forward under this new mission of Forest Weeder Start and being very selective about the community and national uh, nonprofit partners that we're going to be working with who are in particular, uh, many of them working in communities of color um, to support young people when it comes to access and opportunity. And so they are really the experts in the work that they're doing um, to provide empowerment, whether it's um, an organization like Black Girls Golf, which is a national organization that's working to increase equity and diversity in the industry of golf, not just in playing the sport, but in careers behind the scenes Fantastic. within the industry as well for young women. Um, so we're really looking to keep our eyes open to organizations that are doing this work and then having a lot of dialogue and saying, we see what you're doing. Um, we have some resources. We have some brains behind us that can help in whatever capacity you're looking for to grow and, you know, expand the work that you're doing. Fantastic. So we just kind of see ourselves as middle people to help lift these organizations up and fuel them with more to do the great work that they're already doing. That's great. So you found these ones that you can you kind of trust, be passionate about, be passionate with. Yes. And really believe in their mission and then help them move forward. Yeah. That's awesome. And I think it's important not only, you know, we're doing things in our backyards. I mean, we work with the Doonbrook organization in Michigan City, um, who's been a great partner. And we're very inspired by the work that they're doing with families. And I think their model um, sort of speaks to like the level of support that's needed nationwide um, to keep families healthy, safe and happy. And we want to tap into what these really great local organizations are doing, see how we can sort of build these webs where we're roping in a national organization to support a local organization mm -hmm. um, and just kind of build more of a global community around um, making real change because it's just going to take a lot of hands yep, and a lot of time. It really does need kind of everybody's buy-in yeah. to make it really work the way that you're hoping. Yeah. So we're, we're in the very early stages of really building that partnership model. Um, and it's a very... For me personally now, this is sort of what I had envisioned of like, this justifies the time away. You know, this justifies if I got to be here instead of with my daughter, you know, I have a really good reason why. And not that yeah. any working parent doesn't. Everyone right. does. Everybody's doing it for some, table, yeah, exactly. You know? Providing or whatever it is, but to be able to provide while kind of carrying on that family legacy while also working towards all of these incredible community goals 
and its community as a whole. Like we're talking these big groups. It's not just in your backyard, but it's people and groups that affect your backyard and beyond. And that's really impressive because then you can really, yeah, hold that near and dear. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, we're living in very complicated times. Yes. But as you all know, there's an incredible amount of good happening. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think it gets lost in the complicated things. Yeah. And the 5% negative really does overshadow the 95% good most of the time if you let it. Yeah. And how do we really be aware of that 5%? Because you can't be ignorant, but you have to be aware, but not drowned in it. And right. I think that that's really important is let's be aware of the bad. Let's work well and intelligently to improve that across the board. And then let's really focus on the good because I think it's, you know, it's literally the premise of our our start here was if you want the Boy Scout to be the hero, then mm-hmm. you have to put them on the front page. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes across to everybody good, right? It's yeah. why we do our life in the spotlight feature or any other piece is let's talk about the good because everyone else is talking about the bad. If right. we stopped talking about and naming the serial killer or that bad guy that did that bad thing and making it this headline news... They wouldn't do it as much because they don't get any attention, right? Yeah. And so how do you really focus on that positivity and then grow to fix the negative, but not focus on it so much? Yeah. And I think that's what I take pretty seriously in my role within this team is I'm on sort of a similar hunt that you all are in terms of finding those stories of good and using whatever platforms we have to just amplify those stories. Because, you know, again, to go back to like, how my daughter's going to perceive all this. Like there are all these challenges in the world, but there are a lot of good people who have dedicated their lives to looking at those challenges as opportunities to create real change that takes better care of people. And I want her to see that that's possible. Yeah. That, you know, we don't have to just stay entrenched in how bad things are. Like there are real concerns, but there's also momentum behind addressing those concerns that is helping people live better lives. And even if it's a person, you know, that still matters. Yeah, we're not you're really helping you know, people one at a time. Exactly. Yeah. And I think you have to, um, Bolana, who's on our team, says this all the time. We want to walk with people. You know, we're not really interested in sort of the traditional social responsibility model of just writing a check and walking away and feeling good about that. ourselves. Yeah. You know, we want to have these um, transformational opportunities rather than transactional. So we're trying to really be mindful of that in every conversation we go into. Make big change and really make it impactful. And that's really smart to be thinking of that because I do think you're right. We see so many times and, and it's not, it's not bad, but you see a ton of times where, Hey, we wrote the check. We're good. Put my logo here. Um, Great. We need that at some point. However, we also need someone to say, okay, here's the funds. Let's allocate those appropriately. And then go make sure that is appropriately. Um, Go check your source. Go check all that's happening to say, go talk to those people that you're Mm -hmm. affecting. And can we help them more in a different way? Yeah. And learning those and continuing to adjust and change and pivot as needed to make sure it's perfect. Yeah. It's really great. Yeah. So you mentioned your family a little bit. Tell me about your family. But I married one daughter, correct? Um, How old is she? 
She you said is, May of 2020, so like two and a half-ish? She, yeah, so I got pregnant in, um, so the world shut down in March of 2020. <laughs> I don't know if you guys heard, but. Yeah, some, a little something happened. Um, but fortunately for us, a happy something happened mm. uh, very quickly after that. So I found out I was pregnant in May. Um, and my daughter was born in January of 2021, so she's almost two. Okay, got it. Um, it was a very... Uh, interesting time to have a child because, uh, you know, there was a lot Everything's of weird. Just, yeah, yeah, everything was weird. Um, but as a person who is kind of shies away from like larger social gatherings and big celebrations and, you know, center of attention kind of stuff like that, it was a very good time for me. It's probably so relieving to be like, well, the baby shower doesn't really need to be a thing or it can be small or it can, you know, all of those things that you would normally be forced into through this beautiful process that might ruin it for you Yes, as someone more introverted, you don't have to do, or there's at least no pressure. You can do right. whatever you want, but you don't have to. Exactly. And that's how we felt. I mean, my husband and I, we got married in our living room. Oh my you gosh. know, how cute are you? with our Halloween decorations up, you know, I mean, it was like something that's you, right? Exactly. Like something truly you versus same thing, being forced into whatever that looks like traditionally. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that comes with its ups and downs. Like I had friends of mine who are sort of in similar um, places in their life and were getting married and having babies and we were all, you know, separated. And so you do miss some of that, like getting to be a part of it, um, of each other's experience. But, you know, I mean, this is what's great about FaceTime and cell phones and you got a thousand pictures every day of your yeah. child for the rest of your life. And, <laughs> yeah. um, so yes. It's going to be so fun to see the kids and it's probably happening now, but I just don't have any of that age. But like, even my niece is 17 and yeah, there's, I have pictures all over the place of her from little, little, cause we had the internet then and it wasn't, you know, not like me when I was a kid, but it's cool to see these kids now that will have like Facebook memories Yep, uh, for their whole life Yeah, uh, from their parents sharing. It's just going to be interesting and cool to see. It what? changes that whole kind of memories and look back sort of yes mentality. Yeah, so I was just going to say, I think that's what I'm most appreciative of because, I, you know, everyone's experience of motherhood is very different. Right. And for my first year, I really struggled. And so um, I think part of it was pandemic. Part of it was just being a new mom. Part of it was having had COVID while I was pregnant. Mm. And, you know, there was just like a lot we um, experienced that was um, very stressful. And you deal with all the changes that your body are going through and your hormones. And it's just like this big emotional tornado. Which is already combined with the emotional kind of torment that comes with a pandemic that we're dealing with. Most of us, you know, have never been through this and it's a lot, whatever. So, yeah, that's kind of a lot of emotional damage to kind of walk through. Yeah. So there was a little bit of trauma there. Mm. Um, And so I think what I'm very relieved by in this pandemic is how many voices, very public voices are out there talking about mental health. Yes. How many podcasts we listen to that while that's not even their main subject, it's something they talk about often, like all about, or not, that's us. (laughs) Um, My favorite murder is really one that's like really powerful for, Hey, just if you need meds, get medicated. If you need therapy, get therapy. Like Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it early. Let's talk about it often. Let's not make it this behind the scenes shameful thing. Yes. Like, let's really embrace that. Yeah. We all need it. It's I think true. everybody could use a therapist 
just to have someone to talk to that's an unbiased input, right? 100%. So if anybody's thinking that, then they should just literally throw it out the window. And I think we're getting to that point in our, our community now where that's so much more accepted. Yeah. It's becoming more the norm than like, ooh, what's wrong with you? you yeah. Know? And you used to always of- say like, I, I have friends that would say like my counselor because they don't want to say therapist because you might think they're insane. You're like, no, like everybody can use it. Everybody can benefit maybe some more than others and some don't struggle that way or they have a good friend or a mentor, someone they can talk to and some don't. Right. And so maybe more or less, but everybody can benefit for sure. Yeah. And I love to see that in our community and just in our world. Like I think literally publicly in our world, it's just easier now. Yeah. And that's really exciting. Yeah. And I think you kind of go in and out of it throughout your life. I mean, I, you know, when I was like 19 was diagnosed with like a generalized anxiety disorder, you know, that's sort of part of our Aside from the candy, we also have a little bit of a family uh, legacy of that as well. <laughs> you know, anxiety in your the background. Genetics, yeah. uh, sometimes thing, that's predispose okay. us to yep. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Very I think so. that's that's a relief for me as well, being around family in a lot of different contexts right now. Because like my mother and my aunt are helping to take care of my daughter. I work with my cousins every day. So you sort of have that like context of like how you came to be and what you struggle with and, you know, where that comes from and being able to talk to people who have seen you kind of go through your life and understand exactly who you are and um, are really, I've been very fortunate that my family's super supportive about me working with now a cognitive behavioral therapist Mm. who's helping me kind of deal with some of the things that trigger my anxiety because I just felt like, I don't know how any of this will manifest for my children, but if there are things that they are struggling with, um, I may not be able to solve that for them, but I can at least show them that there is no, that it can be a part of your regular day to do this work on yourself, to be happier. Yes. You know, not great, to be great, happier, great but input. to like live in more of a calm space. Just, and be aware of it and like be aware and controlling of it. And I think just knowing, same thing, being aware that that's something that is in your family's history, being accepting of that early and often dealing with that well and being kind of out loud and proud about it. I think that all of that just, I've learned it as I get older, the things I don't love about myself, maybe I'm too hyper. I talk too much. I can't calm down. I struggle to like, let that person talk and listen to what they're saying and not just to react, but really listen to them. All those things I struggle with, you really can be aware and control them because you're aware. Right. And super smart. Yeah. That's really great input. Yeah. And then you can help your kids. And train them and teach them early and often for the same thing of this isn't a bad thing because you can work with it. Just like every other personality personality trait we all have. Right. Some are good. Some are harder to manage. But they're, oh, they're all build you as a human. So none of them are necessarily bad when managed well. Yeah. If one takes over, then you got to know that and, you know, do what you can to adjust. But I think you're right. Like getting that to your children, knowing it now will help them immensely forever. And just being aware of mental health and what it is and that we have outlets and options and we can talk about it. Like that's really smart. I love that. And I think, I hope that's kind of the future of families that we just do that more as a community and as a family and as a community, like a nation, we just do that. I hope so too. And what I'm hearing from some of the, so I'm a elder millennial as I like to say, okay. cuss for a little bit. Um, same, same over here, it's fine. <laughs> what I love about being in our generation, I'm sure every generation feels this way to a certain extent, um, is that we've really sort of sat on a lot of tipping points of like the world as it was and the world as it is. Um, and I think this is one of those inflection points that yep. we're seeing where, you know, historically in our lifetime growing up, these were not the conversations that we're having. 
And now they are. And we are now of the age where we're raising young people and we're seeing the younger generations after us who already kind of get this. Yep. Um, so it is very encouraging that um, hopefully, you know, at least from a social standpoint and within her family as well, you know, my daughter's not going to have these feelings of like, there must be something wrong with me if I can't figure out how to like be normal, quote unquote. Yeah. You know, I don't fit in with all these normal people. What's wrong with me? And it's like, that just means you're different from those specific people. But yeah. also just remember that whether you're young or old, you've also only met, you know, this many people <laughs> like right. compared to how many there are in our world. So it's yeah. really that comparison, I think, kind of kicks us in the butt sometimes. Yeah, you know? it does. Yeah. Us up I, a little bit. The social media piece of it. I mean, I, you know, I'm not a person who really used social media in my personal life um, until, and I don't really use it personally now, but I have to use it professionally every day. Right. You know, and so and it consume it's consuming even from that standpoint. Yeah. Um, it can kind of get you in really quick. And it's lovely for all those things of keeping your family cross country kind of updated on the kiddos and how they're doing and all of the lovely things it can bring. But it's the same with everything else in life. Right. Just using it properly and in moderation and as needed and mm-hmm. you know, as you can, and that's different for every person too. Yeah. And knowing so, now that we have better ways of being um you know, more secure in ourselves and having um, more kindness towards ourselves hopefully will balance out some of the things that can be maybe a little bit negative about the social media influence. So we'll see what happens by the time, like, I don't even, you know, whatever social media my daughter's going to be on. I know. Yeah. Right when now, she's, so yeah. Like, <laughs> you can't even tell what that's going to look like because that's 15 years away. And right. yeah. Yeah. And will you, do you think you're going to be a parent that kind of has her on that early to be able to create some kind of practice, I guess you could say, or do you think it's, let's talk about that when you're 16. Like, mm. how do you feel like, and it maybe you don't know just because you don't know what it'll look like. But. Yeah. I think fortunately, I mean, at least seemingly right now, it seems far away, you know, tomorrow it's probably going to be, be like a, in a flash. Um, right. Yeah. I haven't thought too much about it just because I know that there's going to be a lot that will change between now and then. And we don't even really know what kind of person she is yet. So maybe she won't even have an interest for all you know, and it's not a problem that you're going to even have to face. Yeah. And I do see some of the younger generations. It's almost, I mean, it's just exactly what we always see with any generation is you kind of want to do the exact opposite of your parents. So if you're doing the exact opposite of your parents and your parents are the TikTok people, (laughs) Are you going to be the TikTok person? Probably not. Right. So I would see, I see it a little bit now where kids are like, well, I use TikTok and Snapchat. Your weird Facebook thing's not cool. <laughs> Great. But then I could even see it now being, yeah, that social media stuff's not for us. That's for old people. I could see that in the future potentially. I think it's a great way to connect with people ongoing and all those things. But I could see it being a thing where it's like, oh, I connect with my aunt that lives in California for that. But it really otherwise I hang out with my friends here you know, and really not using it as much. We'll see. Yeah. It would kind of be cool to see that. Yeah. Exciting. It's going to be, you know, you think about where it was when uh, Facebook first started. I mean, I was, I graduated high school the year that Facebook launched. So we were like the first college class to be a part of this. Back when it was just for people who were enrolled at a university. I mean, so you think of the evolution since then. Um, And I do agree. I think there's a lot of power in the ways that it can bring us together. 
And so I think all the other things that we're doing ancillary to social media to build stronger individuals and build stronger communities, um, hopefully will make it something that, you know, um, can be a positive tool to access the things that you love or the people that you love um, for my daughter. So we'll see. Perfect. Um, Okay. So tell me a little bit about... um, you mentioned a lot about your dad. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about your um, women in your life that have impacted you, um, either similarly or in a different way. But I know your dad was obviously a, a large impact. Are there women in your life that have impacted you similarly? 100%. Um, most of them are helping me raise my daughter right now. Okay. So, yeah, we uh, are using the uh, It Takes a Village <laughs> model. It, it really does. So that's great to hear. Yes, yes. But this is one of those things, like you were saying, that every generation, you know, kind of does it differently than the one before. And um, we weren't necessarily like separated from extended family growing up. We just didn't, nobody lived super close and it wasn't like we had our grandparents in our life every day kind of thing, Mm -hmm. Um, which is the opposite now for my daughter. Um, Because I think, you know, one of the advantages of having um, her a little bit later in our thirties is that all of our parents are pretty much retired. Got it. So, um, and they happen to be relatively local as well. So when, um, I had to go back to work, there wasn't like a huge conversation about it. Um, we really just got super lucky and the grandmas were like, what do you need us to do? So I have my mother and my aunt, uh, who come two days a week. And then my mom comes back on Fridays with my dad. Oh my gosh. And then how lovely the other two days during the week. And it's like. And then they all get so much time and it's, you know, I have nieces and nephews. I don't have any kids of my own, but the time is so valuable. And I just, I was just talking about, I haven't seen one of my, she's in like, one of my nieces is like cheerleading and she's doing all this stuff and she's at the age where I'm probably not cool anymore. And so I haven't seen her for a minute and it's like, gosh, I want more of that time. And so to have your whole family kind of involved in that process so closely, it's beautiful. That's incredible. And all of these women are very smart and very strong um, and very no BS. And the kind of influences that I'm happy to have around her. You know, they're going to be exactly what you want her absorbing. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. And it's like, it's an unbelievable situation, really. I mean, we're so lucky. And, you know, there are the the challenges of having your moms around when you're an adult. I mean, it's a complex (laughs) dynamic sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, But I'm very grateful for it because I just think this is kind of, I know I don't, I kind of shied away from like what you're supposed to do, but I feel like I wanted a community in my family and I wanted a bigger family and I'm a little bit older. So I don't think I'm going to have a ton of kids, but I want a lot of family around. And so I think we're just kind of um, able to make that work right now. And yeah. This I'm is your way of creating that. It's just like, it up. maybe it's not 17 kids, but it's kids combined with family and yeah. Aunt, uncle, mom, dad, whatever. It doesn't matter. That's yeah. really great. And the women, um, you know, that has its own sort of there's a perspective from the the American licorice side of things, too, when it comes to the women in my family. My grandmother, um, my grandfather passed when he was relatively young. He was in his 50s. And he at the time was on the board of directors at American licorice. Um, and then 
when he passed, my grandmother had the seat. Okay. Was given the, they sort of rearranged some things and she was put on the board. And that was in the mid 70s. So for a woman to be on the board of directors of a manufacturing business in the 70s was like not super common. Right. Um, and she was not a shrinking violet. You know, she was a woman of her generation and was, you know, respectful to that end. But she also knew when to use her voice. And I think that has sort Fantastic. of carried down through the generations. Um, but we haven't had a whole lot of women. Uh, from the family, work for the family business. So it's all, it's affected us our whole lives, but we have Yeah, it's been a part or a piece somehow, but really it's been the husbands in that yeah. role. Okay. Because even when like my mom and my aunt were growing up, um, it was still kind of like, well, you're a girl, you know? Interesting. Because so, I mean, still that's the eighties or whatever it is by that point. So yeah, it's still not regular for- those women to be kind of leading that. that yeah. Front. yeah. And it was, you know, and that was a diff, an interesting time, I think, for my mom to have young kids. Um, we kind of lived in a neighborhood where we had a lot of families that had kids the same ages. And so um, the parents had a really nice community with each other and the kids had a nice community. So we kind of grew up in that raised by a village thing because we just had a lot of parents around and a lot yeah. of, you know, the older kids would kind of look after the younger kids so the parents could kind of like relax and enjoy their time together. And so there was just a lot of like functions where we were all sort of together. Um, but my mom was one of the few stay at home moms. Wow. There was like two out of 12 or something that was like in this regular group of people. Um, and I think there was kind of a perception of like, oh, well, you don't work. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's out there still now. Yeah. Yeah. So to to hear that struggle and that's like the hardest job in the whole world. Well, this is the thing. It's like I don't (laughs) I don't know that I could just do the stay at home mom thing. I think I always knew I was going to work. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't like a a hard decision to make. It is hard to be in it and figure out how to like split your brain in half, basically. Yeah. And And figure um, it all out and how you to ensure you're getting that time and whatever you need along the way. Yeah. Yeah. But I think um, having all of these other women around to reflect back like the challenges that motherhood presents Mm -hmm. and, you know, from the frame of like, that's what they knew, because my mother-in-law also was at home with her kids for a long time, too. Um, So I think my husband and I are kind of unique and fortunate in that way to have had that presence and sort of, you know, set that expectation of like, um, this is sort of how families operate. And we're finding our own way to do that in the context where we now both work and have to find a balance. But it is really, I think, because of the strength of these women around us that we're able to um, figure it out with a safety net. Yeah. And so it uh, there's not a day where I don't go like, I don't know how we ended up (laughs) with this, but (laughs) I'm going to take it because... uh, I I just do think we're very lucky and um, it is nice to have this other opportunity to then kind of come home and talk to my mom and my aunt about what's happening in the business and, you know, have them sort of be involved in this extent that like this is our family's, you know, story. And they're also a part of it, even if they don't get to go to work every day and and do that. So, um, yeah, it's very... um, I don't take it lightly how this is all sort of played out. And so now I think because 
of my love and admiration for these women, I bring that to work every day. And so I'm sort of in this vein of like, someone's got to be a champion for the women, you know, and I know yeah, I'm not the but only it probably helps with all way. of that community stuff you're doing is having that as something that isn't kind of in the back of your mind ongoing. It probably affects a lot positively a lot of those decisions you make within what you do. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And so I, you know, we want to make communities as a whole stronger, but I think that a good way to do that is to make sure that there's a lot of representation from the women in the room and that their voices are respected and lifted up and taken seriously and allowed to challenge more establishment, you know, kind of thinking. And um, I, I don't believe in backing down when it comes to that. Good. So I think I might be a little bit of a pain in the butt <laughs> sometimes. Rightfully so, darn it. But I, I kind of, I just feel like that's my role. And I had, I have talked about this a little bit um, with my family that I had a dream, like very innocuous years and years ago, dream about my grandfather who I never met. Okay. Um, who came to me to like tuck me in, in this dream. I was like 12 years old where the dream I'm having, I'm like, I was probably in my thirties. Um, and he said, you'll never have to worry because you're a very useful girl. Now at the time I had no designs on working for the family business. It was like, not, not in my consciousness. Um, but I never forgot that. And now I think about that all the time, not just because there's a big portrait of my grandfather hanging in our dining room. Yeah. Um, we call him Gigi because my daughter is like very obsessed Aww. with her great grandpa. Um, and we like to think that he just kind of lives in our house um, and hangs out with us because I think he would be very proud of what the company is doing now to take care of all these kids that, and families yeah. and that we're, you know, keeping the business going. And this was his whole life, you mm. know, as well. So, um, but I, I do feel like, there is sort of a call um, to live up to what he said, which is like, find a space for whatever skills you have to make a positive contribution of some kind. Brilliant. So I just think right now I'm probably in the best role I've ever been to do that. You know, That's like I didn't think growing up reading a bunch of novels and writing little stories and poetry and stuff in my bedroom alone that I would ever be paid to be writing professionally. Right. Here we are. About stuff that you love and things you're passionate about. Yeah. So you just, you can never count yourself out and you can never count life out because you don't know what it's going to do, good, bad, or otherwise. But I think, uh, you know, we can all choose to take the difficult things and, and make something shiny out of them. Yeah. So, and that's kind of a great segue. So I always love to ask, and you mentioned early on in the interview that kind of early on in your childhood, um, or maybe early on in your young adulthood Mm -hmm. that you kind of subconsciously knew that you wanted to do something within the family business, what that looked like, you weren't sure. How different is your career now today than when you started it then? Like how different is it from what you thought then it would be or could be to what it is today? Oh, gosh. Um, Well, I don't think I had a lot of firm ambitions as a young person about like, I'm going to grow up and be this. Mm. I was surrounded by a lot of those people who kind of came out of the gate knowing like, 
I'm going to be a performer. I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to do this. And I always felt like very, you know, sort of like one of those um, like car wash flailing arm to man guys. Of, yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> where I'm like, maybe great, a good wind great. will pick me up yeah. and I'll land where I belong. I mean, I just was never really. Um, Probably attributes to some of that clunky feeling as in college and things as well. It's yes. just like, I'm figuring it out. Yeah. All I knew is that I liked school and I liked working hard. Okay. And I liked getting good grades. Great. And that was like great base. As yeah. much as I knew. Great foundation to start um, from. And so when I was like in high school, I wasn't working because I was involved in sports and I was taking a lot of advanced classes. And, you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself and have very high expectations of myself. So I think my parents were not wanting to burn me out by having me take on too much because I'm, you know, kind of geared to whatever I'm in, I'm in a thousand percent. And so, um, I didn't really have like even just practical job experience at the time to kind of give me an indicator of, okay, you should be doing this kind of work. But I think that actually worked in my favor because then I was able to kind of let life play out. Right. Um, Which is kind of ironic because I'm not like a loosey goosey go with the flow person. But I think I always just was in whatever situation I was in. I'm like, I'm just going to work really, really hard doing whatever this is. And hopefully that will lead to something. Right. And then when I was like 19 or so, um, got my first job, like real job at um, the front desk of a hotel and was immediately crushed by, you know, having to be in customer service and people yelling at oh you. My gosh. And like, I, yeah, you know, I was basically told easy. like, grow a shell because there's going to be a lot of people who are upset with you and it has nothing to do with you. And so I just learned how to like be a little bit more, you know, like a little bit more, um, just tougher. I just learned how to be a little tougher. Yeah. Um, I understand. And I think I also felt like, okay, I can be really good at this, but I also see this person who's like above me and I think I could be good at that too. So at like 20, I was walking into like the director of rooms office going, um, you know, I don't see how this person who's supervising me is any better at this than I am. And I can't work like this anymore. You know, it's a very like dramatic <laughs> moment. I was like, if you don't find me another job, I'm just going to leave. And for whatever reason, this person who I will never uh, forget um looked at me for probably, you know, what the petulant like child that I was being, mm-hmm. but, but recognized something, recognized some potential, some reason why I was having this feeling and being loud about it and said, okay. And they found me a different, they created a different role in a different department Yeah, that I learned that I could build something from nothing. And then that became like my special skill. So I thought, all right, well, if, I know that I can do that. Then it doesn't really matter where I end up because yep. wherever I go, I'm just going to build something from nothing and work thing. really hard. Yeah. Yep. Honestly, that is something that will pay off repeatedly forever. So it's worked out so far. <laughs> it's going well. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. And talk about um, what are some big obstacles, adversity, some things you've overcome in your life that kind of stick with you or have kind of taught you a lot? Hmm. Anything in that realm? Gosh. Um, you know, I think 
not to like delve too much into comparison thinking, um, but just relatively speaking, I think I've been very lucky to not have like a lot of major, um, really difficult things happen. I mean, you know, in the last year or two, probably the most challenging, um, only because, uh, it was one of those sort of like back-to-back trauma periods, you know, sometimes it's kind of like the sky is falling. It was one of those, you know, periods where like, I had just started dating my husband. We were out, um, on like a Wednesday night early, like eight o'clock or something, walking from our car to my apartment. We were at a major intersection and uh, got held up at gunpoint. Oh my gosh. Fortunately, uh, neither of us were harmed. They were able to find the person um, who had already had a lot of these incidents uh, on his rap sheet. Um, And then you know, cut to a few months later, COVID happens, cut to a few months later, my husband and I both get COVID while I'm pregnant, cut to a few months later, I had my daughter. And then a few weeks after that had to have emergency surgery. So it was just kind of like traumatic kind of period of nothing that's like life shattering, but definitely altering and a little traumatic. Yeah. And we couldn't because we had just had a baby. You don't have time to like stop and process your stuff. Yeah. You can't even say I need to stop and process my stuff. You don't, like, know. You don't even have you're time like for that. Like you're in a, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. You're in a bubble for a couple of years and, or maybe more a cloud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of what I felt like. Um, that's exactly how I described it really as I was living sort of in this cloud and not really, you know, knowing why I wasn't like enjoying this experience of being a mother. And, you know, here I have this great job, but everything just felt like a ton of weight on me all the time. And I was not, you know, I just wanted to go like hide in my bathroom. Like I was not a healthy person. So I think that's really the biggest obstacle that I'm continuing to work through is kind of um, learning how these different experiences uh, came to make me feel this way and how I can um, deal with a lot of that sort of trauma luggage internally to face the world in a way where I'm not walking out the door afraid. Um, and then building up my confidence as a parent and, you know, doing all these things that are trying to like put me, I don't want to say go backwards, but give me the stronger sense of self I had before going into all this, because I would say that period, like right before, um, all of these things happen, I was like in the best, um, frame of mind and the healthiest I've been probably in my whole adult life. And I had worked to get there. Um, and so I had tools, but when you're in these different situations, like your toolbox, it's like, it doesn't exist in a lot of ways. And you have to kind of constantly do this maintenance and this work on yourself. And that's kind of what I'm understanding now is that there's no, like, you don't just turn it off, like your self-care and what you have to do to um, be healthy in your body and your mind. Like you don't just like put that on pause for a minute so you can go take care of everything else or everybody else. And so I think that's really the, the adversity that I'm living through right now is just what parents go through. Like you want to move heaven and earth and put everything aside so that your child and your family have what they need. And then you completely forget that you're still a person. Yeah. I hear this a lot of that kind of 
you become disassociated with your body almost. Where yes. Like you're really just, it's all about this person, not you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. And I think, you know, I waited a long time to have her um, and I'd wanted to be a mom my whole life. And to me, that was kind of what motherhood was, was like ultimate self-sacrifice. Like you don't matter anymore. And having to undo sort of that conditioning that we grew up with, basically, just societally. Yeah, of like, right. um, you know, when you become a mother, uh, you you should just know. Yeah. You know, like you should know how to do this. It's the most natural thing in the world. And it's not. It's not for everybody. Yeah. And I think that's the key is like, like I said, I don't have any children. I've talked many times that I don't want any children. Uh, my husband was the same. We just don't want kids. I've got nieces and nephews. I love them to heck, you know, I love them the heck out of them. They're yeah. amazing. It just wasn't my thing. Yeah. And then I've seen probably I've met friends and family members and loved ones that across the board, some were like meant for it. My sister-in-law is a great example. Like she is meant to be a mom mm-hmm. and it is obvious and you can see it. Um, and that's just a different journey than my sister. And I think everybody really does have this different kind of, they're on that spectrum somewhere and it's different for every person. Yeah. Yeah. And just kind of accepting that that's part of life that we weren't given, um, exposure to, you know, we grew up with like the nineties or at least I did like the nineties sitcom moms and that's who we modeled ourselves after. Yeah. And, you know, and it was all about the kids and it's get them to practice and make all the flunches and take care of the husband and do all the thing. And it's just so different now, which I love that that's just so less expected. But that's what we grew up with. Was, yeah. That was expected. It's like mom did it all. Clean the house, occasionally even working. Like right. we grew up with my mom was, you know, the house person, the bills person, the like she managed everything. She got us the kids person and she worked. And so it was. And still to this day, and I've talked about it on the podcast before, like my mom will still to this day, she's going to be 65. Um, and my dad's younger. She gets up with him at like, she's retired. She gets up with him at 5 a.m. She picks out his clothes. She starts his shower. She makes his lunch. She makes his coffee. Like this would make me explode. Yeah. There is just no way I can do that. But I did see it my whole life. Like literally my mom's whole life since they got married when my mom was 20. This is what she's done. And it works for her and she loves it because she loves to care for people. Just there's no way I could do that. It would just be the death of me. Yeah. And I think it is. It's so different for every person. What that, but that's what we were, you know, raised in is that was really the norm and that's what was expected. Yeah. I think there's just like a lot of weird psychology around motherhood in particular that we were influenced by. And, you know, I was even having this conversation with my sister who feels exactly as you do, Mm -hmm. where uh, having kids is not really in her line of sight. And she's always felt that way. And I admire her for that um, because that's her truth and that's what she should be doing. And she doesn't feel any pressure to do anything different. Um, And we're wired differently. And so being a mom was something I always wanted to do. And she will say that she grew up with two moms because I was always very like maternal around her too. (laughs) So I I think I kind of had it. But, um, you know, we were talking about like the stuff we watched as kids. And I was like, girl, why did none of the Disney princesses have moms? That's a great point. None of them have moms. So they have a king dad or something like that. And that's it. Even that. And then the choice for them was, well, now you need to go out in the world and find a husband. Because they care for you. And so they're just little things that kind of get into your, you know, how you build your frame. And then you don't know how any of that's going to affect you until you're in that situation yourself. Mm -hmm. And I'm a very contextual person and I like to, you know, intellectualize a lot about this kind of stuff. So it's very meaningful to me. Um, sort of how we get 
here and unpacking a lot of that and then being very conscious of like what influence we're going to have around our kids and like what stories they're being How that's picking up for you and then how you're going to yep, give that back. Yeah, that's really smart to be thinking of now. You know, my husband was raised very much kind of old school on the boy side mm-hmm. of you are raised to care for your wife and your children. And that is what you do is you care for people. And that is for working really hard and doing whatever they need. And I think that paired with, you know, my mom was right. Ra- I was raised very much with my mom caring for everybody that could have gone right into that traditional kind of family setting, but we're so different as people that then it was almost, and I, it's definitely been something that we've worked through together just because it's like, I don't need that. Like, I don't need someone to pay my bills and I don't, you know, Mm -hmm. and so we've had to kind of make our own path on a relationship that makes sense for us for that same reason of it just doesn't always work for us because he was raised to care for me and all of the babies we should have. Um, and I was raised to care for him uh, and the babies we should have in that other manner. And it's just something where we're like, oh, babies, we just want to take out of it. And candidly, we want to care for each other differently because right. I don't need that and you don't need that. So what is that? I don't need to do your laundry and I don't need to make you dinner and you don't need to pay my bills. Yeah. And so how do you figure out your own relationship and care for one another? And it really is different. And I think it's great to see folks like yourself going, no, we're going to do what's best for us. Yeah. That's fantastic. And it's a lot of work to even, you know, have those conversations and sort of figure that out with your partner. Because again, like, you know, we're, we're just doing this all, you know, we don't know what we're doing. So we're just kind Mm -hmm. of making it up as we go along. But I did have a lot of those moments in the last couple of years of feeling like, I don't know that I signed up to be like the Donna Reed in our situation. Right. You know, I, I think I wanted, um, life to have a little bit more roundness uh, of experience instead of just being sort of in that domestic uh, service role. Although I'm also happy to do those things. I love cooking for my daughter. I love putting away her laundry. You know, like I like doing these kind of and things and I like showing it. my husband that and I you care can for do them in those ways. Love it. Mm-hmm. But I think we're trying to find a good balance of like, yes, I can do all those things, but I'm also going to explode if I do them by myself. Yes. So having to sort of renegotiate, um, like you were saying about your husband, how my husband grew up and like how we come to think of our roles in the home and not having any inkling of needing to have those conversations. It's like, I wish there would be more, not that we would listen, you know, but I wish (laughs) that there was more sort of like assessment, like pre- parenthood pre all of these things to go like take a really hard look at yourself and figure out like how you're going to do this in a way that feels healthy yeah your love languages and what works best and all of those things that you're right like you do the love language book a million times but how much do you take from it and how much do you use it and i think all of those are the same thing it's different for every person um but kind of being cognizant of that and having those conversations and just being self-aware enough to know that maybe you're you're different from what is the norm or what you grew up with as your norm. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think podcasts like yours and others are bringing a lot of light to these individual experiences that are reflecting that. I of hope like, so. We're, yeah. you know, we're not just like a monolith of here's your sh- social role. Like exactly. there's nuance in all of our lives and that should be the norm. You and know, here's someone that you can relate to that might be similar to you versus different or even if they're not the same as you they can be 
someone you can look to because it's different than what you knew yeah. or what you're is expected. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So first we'll talk a little bit about, um, before we get into the quick response questions, we'll pop into, tell me just a little bit, and you've mentioned it a couple of times. So I like, uh, especially cause you think a bit differently from classic, mm-hmm. um, Tell me about your kind of relationship with work, life, how you make that work for you. Are you someone that's always on? Are you more scheduled and sectored? Obviously, I know you mentioned kind of working remote allows you to be a little bit of both of those. How do you run that in your life and kind of how do you work life and work together well Mm -hmm. or not well, however you think? Uh, Well, I definitely have no expertise. I will say that Um, it's like a a daily uh you know, how do I answer this question today <laughs> kind of thing? Um, because I do put a lot of stock into thinking about these things and trying to be intentional. Um, but like the everyday of life is overwhelming. And so I think um, historically work, when I started working, that was my life. Okay. It was my whole life because I was an anxious person and that was a safe place for my anxiety to be channeled. You know, like I could do something physically with my hands. I could accomplish something. I could something tangible would come out of that. Um, And there was no not a lot of time for like riding the anxiety hamster wheel in your brain because you had something to focus on. So I think that's why I was always so drawn to having, you know, a daily purpose. Mm. Um, And it also gave me reason to kind of extricate myself from like larger social situations that I wasn't super comfortable in. Like if there was a big gathering that I was like, oh. I don't know if I'm going to be able to enjoy myself here. Well, got to work, you know? Yeah. So I think it was a place for me to hide. And I don't think I really understood that um, until I had my daughter and I couldn't work all the time. Okay. So I, um, you know, the great thing about having family around is that you have family around to take care of your daughter, but it's different than other childcare in that um, I don't have like unlimited hours to work. So I'm trying to fit a full-time job into part-time hours, basically, which to me was like the biggest nightmare um, initially to think about is like, how am I going to be excellent if I can't put the time in? So I had to readjust my expectations of like what success was going to be on any given day. And fortunately, as I'm kind of having this conversation with myself, Um, I happened to tune into, there was like a virtual women's conference and I wish I remembered this gal's name because, um, she gave a beautiful speech in talking about her career, uh, and being a single mother while working to eventually end up as a CEO of this fortune 500 company. Um, and she said at a certain point, she had to realize that, you know, you're going to wear both hats every day, your work and your life. But um, not both of those things can win every day. So there are days where like work is going to overtake what's going on at home and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And you have to just be okay with whatever needs to win that day. So, um, you know, now stuff will come up where like when my daughter was sick a couple weeks ago, there were like big um, it was like the first time our management committee was going to be meeting in person since COVID happened and. So everyone was coming into Indiana 
um, for like a two day sort of retreat. And I was actually really looking forward to it. We we're going to talk about what Social Impact Team has been doing with the new company mission. It's an update everybody. And yep. it's probably really exciting. Yeah. And then, you know, the day before I'm supposed to leave, my daughter wakes up with a fever. Mm. And it's like, well, home wins today. Yeah, it you has know? to. And um, I think I'm more comfortable with that dynamic than I thought I would be, Good. where I didn't then feel guilty that I couldn't be at work. Because I'm also very fortunate to work in a place where everyone in that room who was there for those meetings has been in that situation yeah. and understands that and it's understanding like, and accommodating along the way. Yeah. And probably would not want to be in my position. You yeah. Know, it's they like, understand the loss there too, where you're like, oh man, you know, and they've been there before and they can understand and they care about you and your family. It's yeah. not just your role within the company. It's really about you. Yeah. 100%. That's fantastic. Um, and that has really nothing to do with the fact that I'm part of the family and the family business. That's just the company culture. That's like it fantastic. would be anybody right. you know, like in that situation. Nicole or anyone team. else on the whole team. Exactly. It doesn't matter where you're at, but we care for you. Exactly. That's yeah. really important. Because, and that makes me feel good about what we're doing with our mission because it is about our families and our kids first you yeah. know, to start you know, within our doors. So I think it's important to kind of look at what you got going on at home before you go out into the world and say, well, this is how it should be. Yeah. And so I think we're, we're role modeling that um, internally in American Licorice and that that makes me really happy to see. I agree. And it also gives me a lot of relief because I do want to be able to be there when my baby needs me. And that's mm-hmm. um, and not feels guilty or things like that. Yeah. Yes. So I really had to kind of like pull my pace back from how I would usually be running a thousand miles an hour for my work. Right. Um, and say like, I'm just going to be very strategic about knowing what's actually practical for me to accomplish today so that I can at least do those two, three things. Smart. And then whatever else is left, that's tomorrow's work. Yep. You know, so that I'm not leaving the four or five hours that I have to work that day going, Oh my God, I got nothing done today. I have a thousand things I got to do. It's like, let's not catastrophize. Let's just be, you know, that's tomorrow Liz's issue. And she can kind of, that's, I can turn that off and now I can be this person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So really make it work for you. Yeah. And I mean, some days I'm better at doing that than others. You know, if we've had a rough couple of days at home, like teething or, you know, my, um, husband's dealing with a, a work injury. So there are some days where, you know, we're just not feeling great at home and stuff like that. And it's hard not to like blend the two, worlds of, well, now I got to take all this with me to work or vice versa. Something difficult happens at work and now it's going to influence me at home. So I'm trying to just be um, a lot kinder to myself. Super smart. And it's really and hard. It helps the whole family yeah. and everybody you work with too. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is hard, but just, that's good. Just giving myself a little bit of grace and trying to set a better example of yes. like, you can't, you're only one person. Like right? you're not going to save you know, you're not going to walk into the world and save the world today. It's like, (laughs) well said, you're just going to try and do the best you can. And And then sometimes that might turn out to save the world, but like, that's going to be your world and your family or whatever it is, but it can only happen when you do that properly. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, our situation is what it is. And so I just try to remind myself that, um, even when I'm being really hard on myself, that there's no way I am not doing my best. Cause I just wouldn't know how it's who you are. To, yeah, you exactly. Know? It's ingrained in you. Yeah. Brilliant. So. Okay. Now it's time for the quick response questions. We oh, have a buzzer. Okay. <laughs> so you have five seconds to answer each of these. They're pretty fun. Okay. Um, 
bonus points because my battery might die on my laptop and I'll have to pull them up on the phone so that you might get a couple extra seconds, okay. but you know, we'll see how it goes. Okay. So first up, would you rather go in the past and meet your ancestors or go into the future and meet your great, great grandchildren? Past. I, I was going to guess that because that whole great, great, great grandfather thing, that'd be so cool to like absorb some of that advice. And oh, yeah. But yeah. yeah. Um, would you rather meet George Washington or the current president? Current president. Got it. Good mm-hmm. one. Uh, and that's actually the opposite of the normal answer. The, huh. the most regular answer is George Washington, which surprised the heck out of me as we got through that. I was like, really interesting. Um, what woman would you want to have on your side in a battle royale? Lizzo. Oh, good answer. And quick too. That was, uh, that's an awesome answer. Uh, would you rather everyone in the world was smarter or nicer? Nicer. Yeah. I think that'll do us more good. What would be the title of your biography? Oh, gosh. Yikes. <laughs> Fabulous answer. Fabulous answer. Okay. What is your favorite month of the year and why? Ooh. Um, November. Okay. Because Coming I, up. I love, uh, well, not that I don't love Thanksgiving. I actually love the day after Thanksgiving the most of any okay. day of the year. We call it our High Holy Day. Um, Got it. Because that's when we traditionally would decorate our house for Christmas growing up. And that was like our favorite thing. Yes. It's like the one we've done a lot of different stuff over the holidays, over the years with family and stuff like that. But that was like the one thing we've always done. Got it. So that's always an important date for us. So that's that's my favorite month for sure. I love that. Um, What superpower would you most want if you could choose only one? Invisibility. Oh, that's a good one too. I used to ask. Would you prefer to fly super strength or invisibility? And it was always mm. interesting to see. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, would you prefer to make a phone call or send a text? Please send a text. I was like, don't let this be the one you get buzzed on. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, text is a good one. Okay. Uh, and would you rather be a kid your whole life or an adult your whole life? Wow. You know what? <clears throat> I would actually like to be a kid my whole life because I don't really feel like I ever was. So if okay. I had a choice to do it a little differently, um, that's what I would do. That's a great answer. Yeah. yeah. Just because who you are is always kind of the being the responsible. So the kid thing never really, really happened a ton. Yeah. They Very used to say I was 40 when I was four. So. <laughs> four going on four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, you did it. Is Woo-hoo! there anything? Look at that. Uh, is there anything we didn't touch on that you want to kind of advice or mentions or anything like that, that we haven't touched on? Um, I mean, the only thing I'll just say again is how appreciative I am of the work that you all are doing, Thank because you. I think we need more outlets like this, um, to really raise individuals up in our communities. Thank you. And so, um, I'm just really happy that, uh, you know, I was even considered for this. I was looking through the, the previous guests you've had and just like feeling a little bit of imposter syndrome going like, Oh my God, these amazing women, like, what am I doing here? And trust me, you're um, going to fit right in. But I think that's kind of, that's a good note to end on is like, even when you feel like you're maybe not supposed to be there, it probably means you are. And it's something that you've got to work through to get to your, you know, next thing. Yeah. It's not, you got to work to get there or deserve to be there. You got to work through the feelings that you don't deserve to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's super smart. Great. Great point. And how do folks connect with you, learn more about you, yourself and American Lick Rush? 
Well, I, like I said, I don't really do social media. Um, I am on LinkedIn and um, I would just say to follow all the American licorice company accounts, because that's kind of my, that's the, that's the best reflection of me right now uh, would be that. And I just, I do think there's a lot going on um, with our associates that work at American licorice and with the community partners that we're doing that, that really deserves to be seen um, because it's, it's very much in line with what you all do here. And it's all about the good. Yes. Well, thank you, Liz, for joining us. You guys, you heard it here. Go check her out on LinkedIn. Get connected with American Licorice across the board. Liz Boyna, great to have you. I appreciate you being on the podcast. Listeners, um, please like, share, review all of those great things and let the podcast land know you love us. And we'll see you next month. 